0: Make three of our series, What is the Point? What's the point? What is the point? I uh, I didn't even know this. There's this book uh, that I have called Reading the Bible for All It's Worth. It's incredible. Uh, but there's a chapter in there on parables. And I opened up the chapter, and the chapter's titled, What is the Point? <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh. I'm a genius. But, uh, just kidding. So, today, if you have your Bibles with you, we're going to be... Uh, in Matthew chapter 18. So we were in Matthew chapter 13 for two weeks. There was a lot in there. Now we're in Matthew chapter 18. Uh, the whole point of this series is we're telling parables. We're talking about the, the parables that Jesus told. Jesus spoke um, initially, as we see in Matthew chapter 5 and 6 and 7. Jesus spoke uh, plainly and he spoke uh, very clearly to, to folks. And he kind of restructured what they knew about uh, about God and about uh, the Old Testament law, uh, the scriptures, right, and so Jesus spoke very clearly, but after that point, Jesus spoke um, kind of indirectly it wasn't necessarily cryptic, but it was it was indirect it was it was pointing to something that um, that the people who were trying to follow Jesus would seek to understand the people who weren't. Would not. And so one of the biggest reasons Jesus did this is because um, he wanted to live up until the time he knew he was supposed to be crucified. What do I mean by that? There's crowds forming around Jesus all the time. And there's many people who wanted to kill Jesus. And they're looking for an excuse to do it. Right? And so Jesus tells these parables in a way that the people who believe in him, the people who want to know him, understand or at least seek to understand. And the people who don't know him, who want to kill him, have no clue what he's talking about. And because they have no clue what he's talking about, they don't kill him. Because if they figured out what he was talking about, they would want to kill him. Does that make sense? So Jesus taught in a different way. But I also, in my research during this series, I found, I found out that indirect communication is the most effective way to learn. The most effective way to learn. So, let me give you an example. So if, if, if we're at camp, right, and Jeremiah does something just... Just stupid, man. Just I can't I can't believe he did that. I just can't believe he did that, right? We've all been there. And we've all done stupid stuff that we regret. And and everyone's like hiding from me and Danielle because we're coming to discipline you all or whatever. I don't know. But So Jeremiah does something dumb and he sees me. He's like, oh, no. Here it comes. So I can either go up to Jeremiah and be like, hey, that was dumb. Never do that again. And then walk away. Or I can say so you did this i wonder if that was the right choice and then jeremiah's thinking to himself i wonder if that was the right choice right and then he's like well yeah i don't i don't think it was and then and then i could be instead of saying like yeah it wasn't but i could say okay why do you think that And then Jeremiah is like, well, I think it was probably wrong because blah, 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 blah. And he gets to the answer himself. Jeremiah learned because he figured it out himself versus me telling him. Does that make sense? So the point of the parables is Jesus is not trying to teach us a theological concept. He's trying to ask a theological question that we have to answer. What are the the questions Jesus is asking? So what is the point? We're going to get to the point by asking questions. So there's three sections here in this scripture, three sections that I want to talk about that are going to beg three questions, three big questions, okay? And so in, in the first part, if you have your Bibles open, Matthew chapter 18, and like I always say, well I don't always say this, but today I'm going to say it, if you've got your phone out to uh, to read the Bible, that's great. If you've got your phone out to take notes, that's awesome, um, but God is too good, and God is um, too powerful and and, and wants to change your life, too much for you to be distracted and on your phone and swiping um, up and down on Instagram and all that kind of stuff. So let's leave the distractions uh, out of the service, um, and let's seek God with everything we have, okay? Because there's something really, really good, uh, I believe, today that he wants to speak to us. So, Matthew chapter 18, verse 1, at that time, and I'm not going to have the... Sorry, I'm not going to have the scriptures up on the screen because, like last week, these stories were originally just heard. And so even if you have the scripture open in your, uh, on your phone or in, on your, in your Bible, but you just want to listen, that's okay too. This is the one time I would say, like, hey, if you want to just listen, listen. Because this, this, these will read like a story. So, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called a child to himself and set him before them and said... So he he sees a little kid and he says, hey, come here. And he sits him in front of him and he says, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as this child... He is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. (laughs) That escalated quickly. So what Jesus is saying the disciples ask a question. Who's the greatest? And Jesus answers the question by asking who's the least. Right? He changes the question. And he, and, he, and, he, and he creates this new paradigm that happens in the kingdom of heaven where the least is the greatest. And we see it later on in scripture. The, Bi- the Bible talks about in our weakness he is made strong. And This is what Jesus is getting at here, that he says, unless you're converted, which, which means you actually change. Here's the thing I want to I reiterate to everybody. I talk all the time about how God's kindness leads us to repentance and God is going to transform us from the inside out. But think to yourself, really, and write it down, what is God changing about me? If you look back to when you first encountered Jesus to now, how have you actually changed? The answer should be substantial. Substantial. You should see a huge change in you. Why? Because that's the power of Jesus, right? But then there's a sobering reminder at the end that Jesus says, if any of you cause one of these little ones who love me to stumble, it'd be better if you tied a giant rock around your neck and jumped into the ocean. That's kind of heavy, but that's why I'm a youth pastor is because I see that society and the world, and remember, we're, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. We're actually, to a certain extent, enemies of the world. <laughs> I, don't, I don't like the world. I don't like, I don't like culture a lot of times. Because every single time, they're going after you. And that's why I think social media can be incredibly helpful, but it can also be incredibly dangerous be helpful to connect it could be helpful to learn like our, our, our uh, social media account we post uh, scriptures every day I think that's helpful but th- I think it also could be very hurtful you see things that are ungodly but they look good they seem to make sense because they appeal to our flesh right but the fact of the matter is the world is trying to make you stumble and so I've had I've had a couple messages in here the last couple weeks have been kind of hard And uh, I I was driving uh, Shelby and Simon in and out. I was thinking it was after week one, and I was like, "Shelby, what do you think?" She's like, "Well, you came out swinging. That's for sure, right?" But I think it's okay because here's the thing: if I don't if I don't stand up for you, if I don't tell you what I believe is right and what I believe is godly, then then the world will tell you, and they'll win. That's the tough thing about being a youth pastor. I get you for like an hour and a half on a Wednesday maybe on Sundays, and culture gets you for nine to five <laughs> if you go to a public school. So I'm like, I'm fighting an uphill battle. But I know that Jesus can win every single battle, so I'm not worried about it. But, so what's the question here that that Jesus is asking? The first one was, he switched the question from who's the greatest to who's the least. The question I want to talk about is what, attributes of a child is he talking about? Jesus is saying we have to convert to be like the child. Okay, that's great. So then what do I have to do? What, what part of this child am I supposed to be like? Right? Am I supposed to go back to not being potty trained? Or am I supposed to go back to waking up four times in the night and screaming for my mom? Like, what, what part of being a child do you want me to do? That was supposed to be a little bit funnier than it was. But, um... But what, what part am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to play in the mud and throw tantrums? <laughs> no. So then what part of being a child am I supposed to be like? And I think the answer, some of the answers is, I think obedience is one of them. When you're a little kid, if you're parented well, <laughs> you, you listen. Right? You might not like it. You might throw a little fit, but eventually you're going to listen. Your parents are like, no, that's not what we're doing right now. And you're like, okay. But when you become an adult, we sometimes use logic and and we rationalize ourselves to a place where we're like, yeah, God, you told me to live this way, but I don't think that's really best for me. And so we stop obeying. We start Telling God, yes, if it makes sense. Not everything is supposed to make sense, right? So so I think that there's obedience. I think there's humility. I remember when I was a kid and I looked at my baseball coach. I was like, you are the best baseball player I've ever met in my entire life, right? And they could have been garbage. I don't know because I never saw them play. But they were my coach. I was like, you should see my coach, dude. He hits pop flies like crazy, dude. Or my football coach, like, yeah, I know he's incredibly overweight now, but you should have seen him back in the day, man. That guy was a beast, right? Humility. It's like I'm I'm not I'm not like you. Anybody ever remember when you were a kid and you just wanted to be like an adult? I, I, I have I have it somewhere. I drew this picture of myself. I was like eight years old and I drew this picture, of Brett, at nineteen, and I had like a little goatee. Thank God I never did that. I just went for the I went for the full beard, but It was like Brett, you know, and I had this nasty flavor-savored goatee. But I thought that was so cool. I was like, dude, that's tough. Brett at 19 is going to be a savage, you know. But I, but I, I looked up to people who were older than me. High schoolers, the junior hires in this room, whether they want to acknowledge it or not, they look up to you. They do. Leaders in the room, high schoolers and junior hires, they look up to you. Are you worth being looked up to, right? And then who do you look up to, right? So obedience, humility, dependence. I think this is the biggest one we're going to focus on today. Dependence. A kid depends on their parents. My older brother tried to run away one time. It was hilarious. He, he's like, that's it. I'm done. You know, It was like, because my mom was like, clean your room or you're grounded. Fine. <laughs> it's not my room anymore. I'm out you know and he like packs his bags and he like throws it over his shoulder and it's like it's like two in the morning though because he he, like didn't tell them obviously but he he walked so we had this like shared bathroom and and my brother's name is Evan he walks into my room and he goes hey Brett and I was like yeah he goes hey I just want to let you know I love you you might not see me for a while but but it's been real man and he's like (laughs) he's like 12 and so, so I'm like where are you going he's like I don't know, man, wherever the wind takes me. And he just, like, walks out. It was, like, this super emotional moment. I'm out, Brett. I'm just sick of this, man. Mom and Dad keep telling me what to do. I'm over it. So he, so he leaves. He walks out, and I'm watching him, and, and he walks out. So our street was, like, at a T, if that makes sense, in the neighborhood. So he's walking straight out my window. I'm watching him. He's walking down the street just with his bag like this. He's walking. He makes it, like, probably 10 houses down. I can still see him, and he sits on the curb. And he sits there for probably an hour just like contemplating. And then he grabs his stuff and he gets back up and he walks home. <laughs> so it was like four in the morning. I was watching the whole thing because I was like crying. I was like, I you know, and then he walks back in the house. And I was like, well, that didn't last very long. He's like, yeah, I started to wonder how I was going to get food and stuff. So <laughs> he's like, so I just came home. It's like the shortest prodigal son story you ever heard. My brother asked for his inheritance. Walked to the end of the street. And they came back. Um, but dependence. We're dependent on our parents. Children know that they're dependent on God. You ever seen a kid pray when, they, when they're like really into it? It's the craziest thing. They're praying for the biggest thing you ever heard. And, when, and, and when, when you grow up, you're scared to pray anything past, God help me have a good day today. Right? Maybe we should start praying like kids again. And the last one I have is awe. Like being in awe of God. Like, wow. You ever remember something as a kid and it was like way bigger in your memory than it was when you went back and saw it? I I grew up in this house in Everett, Washington, and uh and there was this big rock in the front yard, and I thought that thing was a mountain. And I was like, I used to jump off it, and I was like, Dad, I'm jumping like a hundred feet. You don't understand. My legs are made of steel, dude. Like right. It's crazy. It's because I'm wearing my off-brand Jordans, dude. You don't even understand. They're called Shacks. They're from Walmart. But, but you should see how I jump, dude. And then we went back a few years ago, and the rock's like this big. I was like, "What?" And my dad's like, "I kept telling you the rock's not as big as you remember." I was like, "Dad, that thing's a boulder. Someone must have shaved it down, dude. I don't know who spent that much time to do it, but that rock was that rock was bigger than our house, Dad." He's like, no, it wasn't. But our memory, we, things are so grand to us. It's so vast. We make a fort out of cardboard boxes, and it's like this whole world when we're kids. So we're in awe of God. So what attributes of a, tr- a child should we take on is obedience, humil- humility, dependence, and awe. Number two, there's a the next kind of portion here. And God, Jesus starts talking about stumbling blocks. I'm going to kind of skip through a little bit. I'm going to paraphrase, but read the whole chapter. It's amazing. Jesus starts talking about stumbling blocks, how we, how we cause people to stumble or people cause us to stumble. And, and he says, woe to the person who stumbles, but woe also to the person who causes somebody to stumble. Right? And this is when he gets in the part that if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Like, ooh, what? what? <laughs> ah! You know? Or if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Well, it's like, Jesus, what are you talking about? And he says, see that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I say to you that their angels in heaven continually see the face of my Father who is in heaven. So he goes back to the kids. Everything seems to be going back to the kids. Don't cause anybody stumble, goes back to the kids, right? Then he goes, what do you think? Jesus goes, what do you think? If any man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray... Does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go search for the one that is straying? If it turns out that he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 which have not gone astray. So it is not the will of your father who is in heaven that one of these little ones perish. Back to the kids. What? And The crazy thing is, if you read about shepherding in this time... Yeah, it's actually crazy to go after the one if you have the 99 back here. It's not actually a commonly, like, thought of practice. So he's, if he's talking to shepherds, they're like, Jesus, you're crazy. Like, if you leave the 99, they will all be gone by the time you get back, unless they're in a pen. So the idea of, like, somebody having a herd of 100 and one wanders off, leaving the 99 to go for the one is crazy. It doesn't make any sense. So why is Jesus saying this? The question here is why would Jesus go after the one? I was thinking about this a lot. I was contemplating. I was doing my background, my study on ancient shepherds. I was like, why would Jesus say this? Why would Jesus say to go after the one? He's talking about children. He's talking about dependence. He's talking about not causing someone to stumble. So why is it so important that he goes after the one? Because the one recognizes that they need the shepherd. Think about it. When you're in the crowd, you don't even understand that you need the shepherd. If you're in the middle of the herd, you don't even know the shepherd is saying anything to you. You don't even know that the shepherd is guiding you. You're following the rest of the crowd. When one leaves, Jesus goes after that one. Why? Because he can find intimacy with that one. Jesus wants to encounter you alone. And he wants you to grow in community. Think about it. When you first found Jesus, it wasn't like, I found Jesus through everybody around me. It could have happened in a group like this, but there was a moment when it was just you and him. There's a moment when it's just you and him. That's what Jesus is talking about here. God desires intimacy. So the reason he goes after the one is cuz he can be alone with the one. So then he keeps going And he talks about discipline and prayer. He talks about if if someone sins against you, you go to them and you say, like, hey, you, you messed up and I'm offended or whatever. And they're like, they're either like, okay, cool, yeah, you're right. Or they're like, no, you're stupid. And then, the, and then Jesus says that then you go and bring more people, bring two righteous people over to uh, this person. And you all say, like, hey, you, you know, you've sinned against me and blah, blah, blah. And if that doesn't happen, then you bring them to the church. And if that doesn't happen, then you just let it go. <laughs> Let it go. But then, it, all all of this is good context. So Jesus talks about this, and then he goes, "Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. For where there is two or three, where for where two or three have gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst. So that's where that comes from. It's like, oh, okay, interesting." So Jesus is talking about kids, talking about stumbling, talking about going after the one to find intimacy. And then Jesus is saying, we're two or three are gathered. So why is he talking about community right after he's talking about isolation? Because, like I said, God wants to meet you alone and grow you in community. He wants to meet you all by yourself and bring you back. Remember, at the end it says he brings it back to the herd. And then Jesus says to Peter later on, Peter, do you love me? Yes. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes. Feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Yes. Tend my sheep. It's starting to make sense. <laughs> right? Then there's this big one about forgiveness. This story is crazy. So, then Peter came and said to him, Lord. So remember, Jesus just talked about if someone sinned against you, and then he talked about if two or three are gathered. So, so Peter comes in and says, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Like Peter is thinking, like, that's a big number. Someone sins against you. Someone offends you. Someone hurts you. And this is a big number for us. Someone hurts you seven times. Someone's like, fool me once, shame on me. Or shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Like, today's culture is not even twice. Peter's like, how much should I forgive someone? Seven times? Jesus says... I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Which is basically just supposed to mean infinite. For this reason, now he goes into a story. Peter says, how many times should I forgive someone? Seven times? He's like 70 times seven. Check this out. He says, for this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with the slaves. Remember the kingdom of heaven part? Every parable starts with that. I think every parable, most of them, all the ones we've talked about so far, who wished to settle accounts of the slaves. When he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. That's a lot of money. But since he did not have the money to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and repayment to be made. He says, oh, you can't pay it? Then sell yourselves and give me the money. Okay, chill out. So the slave fell to the ground, prostrate, I mean on, on, his, on his stomach, himself before him saying, have patience with me and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. So he begged him, please, please, please don't. And, and the master was like, the king was like, okay, I, I feel, I feel, I feel you. Um, you're good. You don't have to pay it. How gracious is that? 10,000 talents. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him 100 denarii, which is a small, way smaller amount than 10,000 talents. And he seized him and began to choke him, saying, pay back what you owe. Give me my money, is what he said. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, have patience with me and I will repay you. But he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord what had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all of that debt because you pleaded with me, should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed to him. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. so to recount the story there's a king and there's someone who owes the king a lot of money like a lot think of a lot of money and it's that much and more and and he's like you gotta pay this back or, or you gotta sell your whole family and pay me back and then he's like no please, please, please he gets down on his knees he begs for mercy and the king says all right, hey, it's good you don't have to pay it I understand you love your family that's great then that person goes back, after just being forgiven, goes back to this person who owes him 100 denarii and says, give me my money. Beats him up, chokes him, throws him into prison until he can give him his money back. Then the king is like, yo, what? I just forgave you 10,000 talents and you're going to beat some dude up over 100 denarii? He says, no, you're wicked. And then he throws him into prison to be tortured until he could pay it back. So, what's the question here? (laughs) Remember, it started with Peter asking, How many times should I forgive? Seven times? I think the new question that Jesus is asking is How many times have you needed to be forgiven? Peter asks, How many times should I forgive you know who? That person that just won't stop, always bugging me. Jesus flips the question. Not to say how many times he should forgive. He answers it, 70 times 7, an amount. But then he flips the question. How many times, Peter, have you needed me to forgive you? So why wouldn't you forgive them? So the answer here, the, the thing that we land on is that we need to give grace freely. We need to forgive people. If we've been forgiven by Jesus, we need to forgive people. And not to say that you need to be best friends with somebody after they hurt you deeply, but you need to forgive. So that you can move on with your life. So that you're not bound to this unforgiveness. After the king forgave the servant of the 10,000 talents, the king doesn't have to think about the 10,000 talents anymore. Okay, it's good. You're good. And neither does that person. Until he goes and beats up somebody for 100 denarii. Right? So we think about how, how many times has Jesus forgiven you? How many times have you sinned and you've fallen short? And Jesus forgave you. How much more should we forgive somebody else? That's what love looks like. Right? So this whole set of stories, and I'm closing right here. This whole set of stories is about recognizing where we are in the herd. Are we in the middle where we think we're we're in the middle of that 99? And we think, I'll survive with just my friends. be good. The people around me. I told somebody some advice recently that I was like, hey, sometimes you need to not go to your friends for all your advice. Sometimes you need to go to like a pastor or a leader or somebody that's above that. Imagine a bunch of sheep asking each other for advice of where they need to go. Meh, <laughs> You know, back and forth, right? You're like, dog, you're not going anywhere. Pretty soon you need a shepherd, right? So... This is, this is what it's talking about. Where, where are we? Why should we be like children? Why, why should All these stories connect somehow. And the connection is that we need to figure out that we need to be dependent on God again. We need to, we need to obey God again. And we need to understand and be grateful for the grace that God has given us because we've messed up so many times. Does that make sense? So here's the thing. In the story of the 99 and the 1, I hope to always resonate with the 1. I'm always the one, and because God chased after me, I I want to chase after somebody else. Does that make sense, everybody? And so I'm, I'm I'm done. But the last thing I want to leave you with is something I said earlier. This is this is the one thing I want us to take home is that God wants to encounter you alone, and build you up in community. Why is this so important? Because if you just if you just have the community part. You've never encountered Jesus. If you're just in the middle of the herd, you've never had an intimate relationship with Jesus. You love the shepherd because he leads the whole herd. You love the idea of God. You love Jesus, the idea of Jesus. It sounds good, but you've never let yourself be alone with Jesus, so you've never had a real encounter. This is why a couple times recently we've been at camp and convention, I've told some of you, like, hey, stop hugging your friends at the altar. And you're like, why? I love them, you know. And I just want to give him a hug. I get it. I get it. I get it. But they need to encounter Jesus alone. They need to sit with God alone. When we're alone and we're in our room and, and we're going under and it seems like there's no hope in life. Your friend's not there to give you a big hug. Who's there? Jesus. The Holy Spirit. So if you've never encountered him alone, you won't understand what that feels like. So the point of this group is the part where it says where two or three are gathered, right? The point of this group is to be built up in community, right? The point of Jesus chasing after the one is so that we encounter him alone. And the follow-up to that is that we are grateful for that encounter and we seek for it for other people. Amen? Amen. So seek after God outside of this group when you're at home all alone. Seek after him. Read your Bible. Worship. Pray. Seek him. And then let's be built up in this community. Amen. God is good. Hey, let's stand up. Let's pray. Some good stories in the Bible, man. It's good. And when you read them all together, you start to realize how it pieces together. We're not plucking one out and deciding that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to read the whole thing in succession. But Jesus has something to say to us, and so it's going to be good. It's going to be good. Next week, we're still going to have youth. We're going to have a big group of people who are gone because we're going to the Dream Center. But everybody else is still come here. Danielle's going to lead. It's going to be a great night. It's going to be awesome. She's got something fun in store for all of you. So show up, show out, bring all your friends, and have a lot of fun, okay? Um, but there will be like sixteen of us that are at the Dream Center. So if you're wondering where we are. Um, but let's pray. Jesus, we love you. God, we thank you for your word, that it's living and active and sharper than any two edged sword, God, that it speaks to us, that it guides us, God, that we learn from it. So, God, we thank you that you don't just try to answer all of our questions, but you beg new ones. You give you give us things to contemplate, you give us things to ponder. God, we thank you for the encounter. That we, that we have with you alone. And God, we thank you for the community that we could be built up in. So God, help us not to forsake either. Help us to find you in our quiet time. Help us to find you in the quiet place. But God, also help us to be built up and plug into a group like this and a church like this. And so we love you. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen.